0: Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Hello
1: everyone, good morning. Um, It is so lovely to be with you here this morning um, on this, I think it's our third in the series of Uh, in Matthew which is titled Clash of the Kingdoms and the passage we're looking at today is incredibly exciting and moving all at once so I'm just really honoured to be able to dig into that with you today Um, and very kindly the lovely Rachel has agreed to read for us from Matthew chapter 9 verses 18 to 34 so yeah (laughs) <laughs> there you, go.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Okay. okay so while he was saying this a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said my daughter has just died but come and put your hand on her and she will live jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak she said to herself if i only touch his cloak i will be healed jesus turned and saw her Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to see him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news all about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Lovely. Thank you so much, Rachel.
1: Great. Shall we just pray? Lord, I thank you so much for the gift of this scripture. Thank you for your presence here with us this morning. And I just ask, would you come even more tangibly into the room? And would you help us to listen and to understand what it is that you want to teach each individual here today? Amen. So, excuse me. If I had a complaint about Matthew or any of the Gospels, really, it's that there's so much going on <laughs> you can't really take it all in in one go and I just find that this has been an incredible passage you know whenever I revisit any part of Matthew something new jumps out at me or I'm starting to ask myself new questions or just kind of com- you know confuse about something that before did, didn't confuse me um, it, there's so many layers it's incredible We've just heard about five amazing healings, one after the other. The power of the kingdom of heaven displayed in wondrous signs and Jesus' merciful kindness again and again. And it just leaves me feeling quite stunned. We can learn so much about Jesus and our relationship with him from this passage. Um, but today we're going to focus on the following characteristics of the kingdom of heaven. One, we are called to compassion. Two, we're called to faith. And three, we are called daughters and sons of the King. So compassion. While Jesus was in the middle of a theological debate, he was interrupted by the synagogue leader. While he was on his way to help the man's daughter, he was interrupted by a woman in need of him. He continues on his way from healing the girl for who died. Jesus is interrupted again. And finally, as he leaves the house after healing the two blind men, he's accosted yet again by the demon-possessed man. He sounds like a pretty busy guy. He's not even stopping for coffee in between miracles. I find this really quite stirring because I'm not sure I'm interruptible enough even to notice the need around me, let alone stop and do something that I can do to meet it. As we watch the kingdom of heaven in action, Jesus models to us boundless compassion throughout this passage. He doesn't discriminate based on gender or class or whether or not a person is ceremonially clean. He doesn't even seem to give the miraculous works a kind of hierarchy of fabulousness or importance. He allows himself to be interrupted by compassion even on the way to raising a child from death. Jesus' authority is immediately highlighted to us when a synagogue leader, which is called Jairus, we find that out in Mark's gospel, he comes and he kneels before the Lord to ask for the impossible. Wonderfully, the encounter that they experience along the way could really easily have just gone by unnoticed, but it's Jesus himself who interrupts the journey to make sure it doesn't. A woman, we don't learn her name, is pushing her way through the jostling crowds, and just like Jairus, she's desperate for a miracle. However, unlike Jairus, who asked Jesus outright in front of everyone, she keeps quiet about what she needs. She's trying to blend in with the crowd and is hoping not to be noticed by anyone scholars believe she'd have been divorced if ever she was married and that's because her condition rendered her permanently unclean she would have had to live separately from her family and community and no one would have wanted to touch her for 12 years divorcing her would have been very easy for a man. Many scholars also believe she was probably a Gentile, seeing as Jesus was in a Jewish area, and if she was also a Jew, her condition would have been known, and so she wouldn't have been able to sort of slip through the crowd without causing a scene. Jairus was a respected person and could therefore approach Jesus publicly without much fear of rejection. The woman was a nobody, really, in that society. He would have been used to being seen, heard, sought out for advice. She'd lived a life of shame in exile from her community, invisible and unwanted. Writing primarily for a Jewish audience, Matthew makes this comparison clear to his readers to teach us the immeasurable value of compassion in the kingdom of heaven, he paints a picture of the earthly order of things before demonstrating how Jesus's sovereignty obliterates earthly expectations. We often get the image of this woman almost crawling behind Jesus to reach for the hem of a long flowing cloak that he's sort of wearing. However, that isn't what happened. The lovely Phil has lent me this beautiful thing today. So, first of all, we know that she's trying to be inconspicuous. If you're crawling about on the floor in a crowd, you're gonna draw some attention to yourself. (laughs) And it's probably not a very safe thing to do either. In Mark's account of the story, it's made clear that the disciples don't actually know who touched him everyone around them looked equally unremarkable. And secondly, the word cloak in our English text isn't actually the most helpful translation. In fact, the original Greek word used was tallit, which speaks of a prayer shawl like this. It's actually quite big. (laughs) It would have been worn over the shoulders. I'm not going to fully unfold it because I'm quite small for it. But they wear it to kind of pray. They might put it right over their head if they're going to pray. And that will help them to concentrate and be in deep prayer. But the edge of the cloak that the woman is recorded as touching is called the tzitzit. And that is these kind of twisted knots of fabric and tassels. That was really, really significant in the Hebrew culture. Jesus refers to these seat seats when he's describing the hypocrisy of some of the religious leaders in Matthew 23, verse 5, when he says, Everything that they do is for other people to see. They make their phylacteries broad and the tassels on their garments long. So that's these. These are the seat seat that Moses was commanded to have the people make on the corners of their garments as a reminder of scripture and a sign of holiness that's in numbers 15 37 to 40. In other words the woman in her mind is conflating what the tzitzit represents holiness and wholeness with the one from whom holiness healing and wholeness come. Jesus turns to address her This in itself is an astonishing act of counter-cultural redemption. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4? The disciples were described as marvelling at the fact that he was talking not with a Samaritan, but specifically with a woman. One rabbi taught, a man should hold no conversation with a woman in the street, not even with his own wife still less other women, lest men should gossip. But Jesus engages with women freely and easily. He's not afraid of what other people might say. He's living out the equal esteem that Father God holds all people in and his great compassion for everyone. Secondly, we're called to faith Throughout this passage, we see people reaching or crying out to Jesus because they believe only he has the power and authority to help them. The two blind men address him as son of David, which demonstrates that they've understood deeply who he is. As far as they are concerned, he is the Messiah who is promised in scripture. We see his identity as our saviour, emphasised again when he exercises the demon-possessed man, as tradition held that only the Messiah could do this when a person was mute. The men ask for mercy. That shows they've not only correctly identified Jesus as Messiah, but they also know that they are not worthy of the healing that they need. Again, this gives me a lot to reflect on. Do I really fully grasp that the things that the Lord has done for me and continues to do to me are acts of pure, unmerited mercy? Do I respond accordingly, or do I sometimes take His grace for granted? Jesus asks them whether they believe he can heal them. And I find that really interesting because they've already cried out to him. When we ask God for something, do we expect him to deliver? When we pray for a miracle, do we believe he can do it? Jesus said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. He touches their eyes and their sight is restored. It's just phenomenal. Their correct understanding of and faith in who Jesus is and his authority were vital. And the same can be true for us today when we pray for the miraculous and see divine results. Jesus doesn't say, according to your faith, be healed to everyone. There are several instances where Jesus heals someone and has not mentioned their faith or that of someone else. He came to set the captives free, to seek the lost, and to heal the sick. He came for everyone, not just those who understand who he is. But in Matthew 13:58, when Jesus was in his hometown, it says that he didn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So our faith obviously is able to influence the work of God while we're still caught in this clash between the kingdoms. Now, just to be clear, we don't generate signs and wonders and healing by working ourselves up into a frenzy of manufactured outward faith. It's always God at work. It's always the victory over sin and sickness and death that Jesus won on the cross. That means that we can pray for the supernatural and witness true miracles while we're here on earth. And nor can we say that every faith-filled prayer is fruitful in the way that's obvious to us. Sin, sickness, and death will one day be annihilated eternally. But while we're caught in this clash between the transitory and the eternal kingdoms, we still continue to suffer these evils. And sometimes despite having great faith, when we ask for something in prayer, we don't always get the answer that we're hoping for. And it's an often painful part of living in this mystery of the the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. There's no formula that I can give you or that someone else can proclaim that if you follow it will mean miraculous answers to prayer every time. But Jesus showed us, and we know still today, that he has authority over all on earth and in heaven. And he credits the miracles of these blind men receiving their sight to their faith in him. Indeed, their faith continued to abound. They couldn't contain their joy, their wonder and gratitude. They went around telling everyone what happened. And I long for that kind of passion today. I long to just be overflowing with the good news of what God has done in my life and for us all. We are called to faith-filled lives. But the onus isn't on us. In Mark 9.34, a man asks Jesus to help him with his unbelief. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul tells us that faith itself is a gift of the Spirit. We know the Lord promises to give us the gifts of the Spirit when we ask Him. So if you're here today and you're desperate for a miracle, or if you're just in need of a bit more faith, His invitation is that you simply ask and receive. Finally, finally, We are called sons and daughters of the King. In Luke's account of this story, Jesus turns around and he says, who touched me? And when everyone denied it, Peter chirps up and he says, master, people are crowding all around and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me and then, the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told them why she'd touched him. When we hear how much she desperately wanted to avoid attention, I wonder if we kind of ask ourselves, why did Jesus turn around and get her to speak up in front of everyone like that? Wouldn't that just embarrass her? However, he had no intention of shaming her. Indeed, we can deduce at least five edifying reasons for him to engage with her in that way. Firstly, she's been seeking help from so many people, and it describes that in the other Gospels accounts as well. She's been looking for help, doctors, you know, people to try and fix the thing that she's been suffering, and it's been fruitless so now she can know she's been healed, because Jesus has declared it. Secondly, as a consequence of this, she's been pronounced clean in front of a crowd of people. There will be many witnesses that will be able to bear testimony to Jesus' word, meaning she no longer needs to fear being shunned and outcast. Thirdly, to model the standing a woman has in the kingdom of heaven, as we've discussed. Fourthly, he's reminding her of why she was healed. It wasn't some mystical power woven into the fabric of this garment, it was the one wearing it and her faith in him that meant that she could be healed. Finally, he calls her daughter. This story is recorded in three of the four Gospels, and in every account, he addresses her in this intimate way. She's the only woman recorded in any Gospel to be named daughter by Jesus. And I don't believe it's an accident. Jesus, uh, Matthew says that Jesus saw her. The original Greek means he understood her. He saw the desperation and her sheer courage to face all shame and fear of others to come and find him. The magnitude of her need and the obstacles that she had to overcome to be there that day. That one word, daughter, takes her from being a nobody regarded as among the very least in society, to being adorned with a whole new identity. Now she has been welcomed into his family. Now she belongs and can know forevermore that she's the daughter of the king. After she's experienced so many years of rejection and condemnation from society, Jesus doesn't just heal the sickness and the pain in her body, he offers healing for her heart as well. Miraculously, we can experience this too. The moment we accept Jesus into our hearts and lay down our lives for him, our identity is transformed. When I was growing up, my relationship with my biological father was extremely damaging. He wasn't a safe person. I last saw him when I was about 16, and I'd been a Christian for years by that point, actually, But because of what I'd been through, I was very depressed. However, God had so much more for me than just the knowledge of my eternal salvation. He had life in all its fullness. And a few months after the last time I saw my biological dad, I had a life-changing encounter with my heavenly father. He healed the trauma, the pain that had been caused. The Holy Spirit showed me that unforgiveness was really harming my heart and he gently helped me to let go of the anger and pain and self-hatred and fear that were like chains that had been binding me. Father God spoke to me in that wonderful moment and gave me a new identity. I no longer had to live in the tatters of what a man on earth had done. God called me daughter and continues to show me each day what it is to be loved by the perfect father. My life's never been the same since. Even through tragedy and loss and various painful circumstances that I've faced since that happened, the knowledge, the the true deep heart knowledge, of the love of the Father gives me life and sustains me every day. So when I read this passage, I feel like Jesus naming her daughter is as healing, if not more so than the miraculous physical healing that he also blesses her with. The passage goes on to follow Jesus as he goes with Jairus to his daughter who has just died. It's another story of a father and a daughter, an earthly father who loves his daughter as much as he possibly can. But Jairus knows his limitations. His love can only go so far. And as a parent, I've felt that many times, when you just want to help your child, but you can't do the stuff to fix what's going on on the inside. Uh, In this case, Jairus is facing the unthinkable, the prospect of the rest of his life without his precious daughter. So, he goes and finds the only one who can make a difference, and they arrive at his house, where they find a crowd of professional mourners. What a job! How do you imagine that would be advertised on Indeed? Indeed. They're wailing and they're playing dirges on pipes and all sorts, but it's not authentic grief. And when they laugh at him, Jesus sends them away because he doesn't need their mocking and faithless attitude. He knows he has all authority over death. He goes to where the girl is lying on a bed, takes her by the hand, and she gets up undeniably alive. When we answer Jesus' call to take him by the hand and follow him, we too are raised from death to life, from obscurity into being a son or daughter of the king. So in this passage, we've seen how Jesus' compassion for those who are bound by sickness, the demonic, and death moved him into naturally supernatural action. We see people of all backgrounds recognizing him for who he is and crying out in faith for him to touch and change their lives. We see a rejected and invisible woman crowned with the lasting title of daughter of the king. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we too our call to live lives filled with compassion and faith, fully resting in the knowledge of who Jesus is and who we are in him. I'm just going to invite the band to come back up. And I wonder if you'd be happy and comfortable to maybe close your eyes, Um, because I just think, This is an individual thing for everyone. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit and invite you to do the same, to just search our hearts. Lord Jesus, you know and love every person in this room more than words can say. You know they're weak, you know their life, you know the thing that they're desperate for. And so, Jesus, I just pray, would you just reveal anything that's stopping us from seeing who you are or knowing it deep in our hearts? Would you just highlight something that gets in the way of us knowing who we are in you? And would you help us to offer it to you, Jesus, and receive your love in return?
0: We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.